0: I didn't give you an update on my mother-in-law, so I want to, and I kind of prayed some information there. But uh, please pray for Joanne Topwich. She was supposed to go into a rehab, I think yesterday, maybe even Friday, uh, and then she was, she started uh, having some bad days. She had a bad day today because they were they were gonna bring her to the rehab today earlier, then they pushed it back to eight tonight, and then because she just was not doing well, they they put her on fluids again. Uh, and she's already, Mary said just recently that she's Im, seems to improve greatly. So the doctors are going to assess her tomorrow and decide whether she stay in the hospital or uh, go to rehab. And uh, honestly, we're, we just we um, we want the Lord's will. But she's in the best place she can be, getting the medical attention she needs. And we don't want her to be transferred too quickly. Uh, so please pray for her. This has been a challenge for my father-in-law, and uh, it's been a blessing to to be able to have Mary. Just go and give of herself uh, to her family and be there uh, all the time. Um, So we have been without a mom. So you might want to pray for us. Actually, maybe you want to pray for us more. I don't think so. But we, um, you know, we're getting by fine. Mary, when she comes back, will not say that when she sees the house. But you all know, you men know what I'm talking about. Um, So anyway, um, thank you all for your prayers. All right, let's turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Title of the message tonight is Practicing. In fact, it's a question. Practicing Christianity. Uh, I remember when I would hear of, um, and it began to dawn on me that what doctors do is they, they practice medicine. And when I guess when I became age of learning the word what to practice, it kind of scared me like, Doctors are only practicing, you know. Uh, And then the more I understand uh, what practicing is, uh, it kind of goes the same way with Christianity. Uh, But when you and I understand and we study this word chastening or discipline, uh, it helps us to get a better picture on this relationship that we have with God as our Father when he corrects us, when he chastens us, when he disciplines us, and uh, so we're going to talk about that today. Basically, we're going to go through Hebrews chapter 12. Now, I know Charlie preached through Hebrews and did an excellent job in expounding this. And um, so we're kind of going back to that just to remind you uh, about God's chastening. And uh, the writer, who I agree with Charlie as he shared that, in fact, he would initially said, you know, some say it's Paul, and then he just said, you know what, I think it's Paul. And so if I ever say, you know, Paul said in Hebrews, I'm good with that because I think You know, there's been a lot of theories. A lot of people think it was Paul. Some people think it was Barnabas. Uh, Some people think it was Timothy. And then there's another theory which seems to me to fit the best is that, because it's different, this is the only one where Paul doesn't start out as if he was writing a letter saying, I, Paul. But the theory is that Paul was preaching and that this was from his message. So it's from Paul, but somebody else was taking it down, and that might answer some of the differences. But you know what, again, this is not one of those things where we're going to separate as, as brethren over, you know, if you don't believe Paul wrote this, then, you know, I don't want to ever talk to you again. You know, and we got to be careful of that spirit. We really do. So let's look at Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 where the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. He's going back to chapter 11 where he just, uh, what we call the great... Um, hall of fame faith where we just see you know by faith Moses did this by faith and it's just a list of uh, just a smattering of the great uh, saints of old who accomplished great things and that's what he's referring to wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses in other words there and the picture i think charlie painted this is that you know they're on there they're all around there cheering us on And let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Boy, that's good counsel right there, isn't it? To lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. And then here's the key. How do you do that? Well, a lot of it has to do with where our focus is. If you are focusing, in fact, just in the layout of this text, if you're looking in the rearview mirror at the previous verses, every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, that's looking in the rearview mirror, and that's that's not how you're going to accomplish things for God. Rather, verse 2, looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him. So twice we are told, looking unto Jesus. Has he been your focus lately? Has your attention been on him Because as things around us get worse and worse, it is imperative that you and I look to Jesus and consider Him, considering Him who endured such contradiction of sinners against Himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. Wow, we can relate to that. You ever been weary? You ever been tired of, the battle, the weight, the, the, the race that is set before us. And then he says, you know, in case we start getting a martyr's complex or thinking, oh, I've done so much for Jesus. And it just, you know, I don't think it's worth it. You know, I have, I have fought so hard. He reminds us, you have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. In other words, let's kind of set things straight here. I think if truth be told, folks, and every one of us were honest, we would, we, would, we would humble ourselves and say, you know what? I haven't been fighting as hard as I should. I haven't been giving 150% like I should. And then he says this, and here's where we're going to park tonight. Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. And I submit that just as they had easily let this little doctrinal nugget slip in their minds so you and I can do the same thing. And he quotes from Proverbs chapter 3. Let's read it here in in Hebrews 12, 5. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Let me read to you what the King James Version says in Proverbs 3. Now understand when the King James Translator is translated, they were translating out of Hebrew, and it's very clear that Paul, in Hebrews, is quoting from the Greek translation. So this is what Proverbs says in, in the King James. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, which is the word almost word for word, neither be weary of his correction. And it's worded a little differently again because of the translation they were, they were using. Uh, For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. So again, he, Proverbs 3.11, My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. Or as Hebrews 12.5 says, uh, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth or correcteth. So we see these these words are being used, and we're going to do a little study on this, because I want you to understand the importance of being a child of God and how God deals with you and I. He doesn't deal with us the way he deals with other people that are not children of God. And this is the point that is being made here in Hebrews. Despise not thou the chastening. It's the Greek word paideas. The chastening of the Lord. And and so this idea... First of all, we want to spend a few minutes focusing on what this idea is not talking about. When we talk about chastening, because there is a correction. In fact, the word rebuke or reprove is used um, in this this text. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth or reproveth every son whom he receiveth. If he endure chastening, God deals with you as as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? So there is the idea of correction, but it's not in the sense of punishment. And it's important that you and I realize, what is punishment? Because so many times... When a believer is being dealt with as a son, too many times Christians get in this idea, well, and, and they will lock into this and not be able to see the bigger picture. I know God's punishing me. I just know God's punishing me. And, I, you know, and I deserve it and I deserve it, you know, all that. Well, listen, when we talk about chastening, it is important that you understand that the nature of God is, Correcting his child is not the idea of punishment. Punishment is really the idea of payment for wrongdoing. It's payment for breaking the law. Punishment is not a great teacher because the price is too high. Listen to Webster's definition of punishment. Punishment is any pain or suffering inflicted on a person for a crime or offense by the authority to which the offender is subject. So punishment is any pain or suffering inflicted on a person for a crime or an offense. Some punishments consist of exile or transportation, others in loss of liberty by imprisonment. Some extend and... and. and some extend to confiscation by forfeiture of lands and goods, and you know, I've, as you know, I've shared with you. I've been going through the Baptist uh, this day in Baptist history for my devotionals in the morning for the last couple of years, and so I've got all these stories. And when I when I read this, I could not help but think, but dozens and dozens and dozens of our Baptist brethren who most of us don't even, wouldn't even recognize their name, but down through the ages. Uh, Our Baptist brethren that have, many of them, fall into this category. That they have been punished for preaching the gospel. Again, punishment, I continue this part. um, In loss of liberty by imprisonment, some extend to confiscation by forfeiture of lands and goods. Others induce the disability of holding office or being heirs and the like. So I want to share a story of somebody that was punished... For not doing wrong, but for doing right. And I've talked about him recently uh, because I read a letter, one of his letters to his family while he was in prison for preaching the gospel. His name is John Bunyan. John Bunyan, let me share with you for a few minutes his testimony because he is just a real great role model, a great man of God. He was born in England in Elstow, near Bedford in 1628. So realize the King James Version had just been published in 1611. and He was born in 1628. He was the son of Thomas Bunyan and Margaret Bentley. He followed his father into the tinker's trade, but rebelled against God, and according to his own, te- own testimony, he said, I had but few equals, both for cursing, swearing, lying, and blaspheming the holy name of God. So he was, you know, by his own testimony, he was... Uh, not a godly person. As a teenager, he joined Oliver Cromwell's new model army, but continued his rebellious ways. In fact, one time, so this was while he was not saved, <coughs> his life was saved when he was, when a fellow soldier, and we just finished imputation. This would have been a great example, because while he was a soldier for Cromwell's army, uh, a fellow soldier took his place at the Siege of Leicester, And as that soldier, taking his place, was standing sentinel, he was shot in the head with a musket bullet and died. And that had a big impact on him. You know, it's interesting how merciful God is when he's trying to get someone to come to the cross and get saved. And they're fighting against it. And praise the Lord for that kind of... That's not chastening because that's God bringing conviction to to get someone humbled. And folks, whatever it takes... You and I need to praise God, and sometimes it's hard. You know, we're praying for so many of our young people, and sometimes it's hard. Uh, especially, you moms know this. You know that to see your son or daughter go through difficulty, and yet you and I know that God's working to draw them to the cross. He was doing it with John Bunyan, and um, so he was discharged from the army after three years, and then he married a God-fearing woman. Now, we, of course, we'd go to that gal and say, what are you doing marrying you know, a, a rebel like John Bunyan? Uh, but her dowry, okay, shows you kind of the setting. The only thing she brought to the marriage was two books. <laughs> Imagine that. I married a wife and only got these two books. And the books were The Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven by Arthur Dent and The Practice of Piety <coughs> by um, Lewis Bailey. <laughs> and he read those books. And that's where he heard the gospel. That's where the the scriptures were clear. And uh, he was convicted of his sin. (coughs) And and by the way, it was like, because the law came in and he realized he was breaking God's law, he did what many people do, do and he started to try to reform his life. But then he realized that he was lost and without Christ. Gore, I already have two things of water here. Thank you. And I haven't even been drinking them. I appreciate that. I will drink one just for you, Gore. You hear me coughing, that's what it is. And it's Anyway, so he realized that he was lost and without Christ. And then one day, this is, you know, Skip talks about divine appointments. I love that. And uh, we need to be keyed in on that, that, that things that happen in our life are divine appointment of God. And he came across a group of ladies who... Here's what he said: Whose quote unquote joyous conversation about the the new birth and Christ deeply impressed him. So these ladies had something that he didn't have. Their again, their joyous conversation about the new birth and Jesus Christ. I wonder if people could say that about you and I. Have we ever? Has anybody ever heard overheard us? Having joyous conversations of the new birth and of Jesus Christ, I am sure they weren't thinking, "Hey, here comes that John Bunyan rebel let's Let's make joyous conversation about the new birth and, and Christ." They, you know, they're just this was what came out of them, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And man, did that convict him in nineteen fifty one. The women introduced him to their pastor in Bedford, John Gifford who was instrumental in leading Bunyan to repentance of faith. John, yes? 1951. Did I say that? Oh, you're right, John. That's what I wrote too. I guess, uh, let's see, it would, be, it would be 1851. Yeah, thank you, John, for correcting that. I assume it's 1851. Obviously, it's a typo. But if it says 1951, it might not be 1851. It might be who knows what. So, you know, we'll lo- I'll look at that for you later and get that to you. It was probably, okay, sixteen. Yeah, he was born in 1628. So that means it was 1651. Would you say that's safe? It wasn't 1751. So it's 1616. Okay, so he was saved now in 1616. And he got arrested for preaching without official permission from King Charles. Isn't that something? Not, not the present day King Charles. He had to spend the next 12 and a half years in prison. And... In some way they were self-imposed because he could have gotten out just like that. All he had to do was agree to stop preaching Christ. And he wouldn't do it. And I remember reading a letter, a couple letters of his home that are still preserved today. And he wrote of the agony. He was writing to his wife and he was right Because he had one, one of their children was a special needs child. And it tore him up that he was separated from his family. It tore him apart. But he refused to stop preaching the gospel. That that's amazing. This man is being punished for being faithful to Christ. It was during his imprisonment. He only had two, during his imprisonment. He only had two books: the Bible and Fox's Book of Martyrs. And he read them, and then he began to write. And this is what made him. He, he would become one of the most famous authors of England. Uh, and he, um, so he wrote during those 12 and a half years, he wrote books called The Christian Behavior, The Holy City, A Defense of the Doctrine of Justification, Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners. You see a theme here? His focus. He was looking unto Jesus. He was considering him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. And so he did not get weary in his mind. Yes, he was challenged, but he did not quit. Because he was finally released in March. Uh, he was released after 12 and a half years. And then in March of 1675, he was again imprisoned for preaching publicly without a license. In fact, if, and he, um, in fact it was during that time, the second imprisonment, when he wrote the first half of Pilgrim's Progress. And which would go on, to in the first 10 years, it would sell 100,000 copies back in that day. And then it was after he got released from prison that he finished the second part of Pilgrim's Progress. But I will never, and he wrote a couple more books too. But what an amazing man that was being punished, not for wrongdoing, but for, for serving Christ and preaching the gospel and be obe- being obedient. But that's punishment, folks. But it's important that you and I realize that God's punishment, He has finished punishing us. And He did it at Calvary. And you and I must never forget that. Punishment for the believer ended at the cross for all those who accept Jesus Christ as their Savior. Those who trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ and Him alone. Those who come empty-handed, those are the ones that will not experience punishment. 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, by whose stripes ye were healed. His own self, Jesus Christ, bore our penalty. So now let's move to the second aspect of discipline. Discipline is not punishment. Discipline is God responding to us as children. Punishment looks backward. It's paying for sins in the past. Discipline looks forward. Discipline is, in fact, one of the terms, let's look at this word discipline, Hebrews chapter um, 12. Chastening, if you, uh, if you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. And the word for chasten is also translated elsewhere. That same Greek word that I mentioned, paedos, is also translated differently in other places. Correction, instruction. And remember 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness. That word instruction is is the word, the same word for discipline. That's what discipline, that's what chastening is. It's instruction. Uh, Nurturing. I mentioned this morning, Ephesians 6.4 Fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, I think it is, or anger, lest they be discouraged, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's, that word nurture is what discipline is. It's It is a teaching process. So when you think of chastening, or you think of discipline, think of teaching, instructing, nurturing. God is growing me. And that's where we come to this last term, which uh, is practice. Practice. The word practice... um, It means to follow or employ. To put an action into practice. People will, you know, somebody has a medical practice. Anything you do repetitively over time could be considered practice. Uh, I used to practice my clarinet. I need to get back to that. Uh, But somebody that's really good, I was thinking of my children. Um, I have, you know, some of my kids... As you know, I have four, and they've all played the piano at one time or another. Some have more desire to play piano than the others. The ones that really put time into it practiced and practiced and practiced. And as a parent, if you have, any of you have had kids that have practiced an instrument, my one daughter played the violin. That's interesting in the beginning, you know? <laughs> but as they practice, it gets easier to listen to. In fact, one of my children is so tenacious, I guess you could say, and she's, uh, I call her my little, f- her, I just revealed, narrowed it down, but she, I call her my little firecracker. And I remember, she'd be on the piano, and she would be so, if she got it wrong, she'd kind of storm away from the piano, go upstairs, and then five minutes later, she'd come back down, and she'd, she would hit that thing tenaciously. She's practicing, and the mistakes did not defeat her she she'd get frustrated because you know that's the way she's wired but folks some christians they fail and then oh, i give up i remember a lady in lancaster when whenever um the, she came i remember we were talking about something and and she was so frustrated with herself it might have been gossip i don't remember uh, it might have just been some area in the christian life and i remember she'd she was the kind that would get so frustrated because of her failure. She's like, why do I even come to church? You know, it's like, well, see, that's the thing. Don't be weary. And that's the thing about discipline. That's the thing about chastening. It gives you room for mistakes. It's, it's instruction. It's God dealing with us, nurturing us, teaching us. And so mistakes are part of the training. Understand that. By the way, this particular child, uh, who would make so many mistakes, would end up. Be, you know, in my mind, they were masterpieces that she would play at the end. That would not have happened that way if, if it was not for all that practice. Let me give you the definition of practice: frequent or customary actions, a succession of actions of similar kind or like employment, as the practice of rising early or of dining late, the practice of reading a portion of Scripture, <laughs> morning and evening, by the way, this is Webster's first dictionary I mentioned this morning, the practice of making regular entries of accounts, the practice of virtue, habit is the effect of practice. So understand, when God is dealing with us, in fact, remember Hebrews 12 it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. In fact, verse eight of that text says, "If ye are without chastisement, then we are illegitimate children." And by the way, in that text, Romans twelve or Hebrews twelve eight, it says, "If we are without chastisement, whereof all are partakers." All believers That's the context here. It's not saying every human being on the face of the earth deals with chastisement. No, he's already clarified. This is only talking about children. If you're a child of God, God's going to deal with you differently than someone that is not born again, that is not regenerated, that's not his child. But if you're a child of God, all are partakers of chastisement. Keep that in mind. Again, when you're being chastened, don't look how God's punishing me. And, and, you know, we beat ourselves up. And we think there's no room for mistakes. As if God is this severe taskmaster. But the very nature of chastening and discipline is it's God's nurturing us. He's training us. So we all, if you're born again, you ought to be a practicing Christian. And you're not going to give up. I close with this um i shared this on wednesday that uh my one of my sons they're not here so i can pick on them um one of my sons is is is, trying different things out he tried boxing and he stopped for a while and then he wanted to try golf not now i've been with him to putt putt we're not talking about that kind of golf and so we signed up for golf lessons and mary was going to take them and i remember talking to him that morning and um because he was he was he'd been running and his feet were sore and he's like the first lesson's going to be an hour and after that each time each week it's going to be half an hour and he said I just hope there's not a lot of walking. And so we're imagining him going to this golf course and we're imagining he's going to, you know, maybe 18 you know, they're going he's like he said I hope they have a golf cart. That's what he hoped, you know. So we go to the address and there's no golf course. It's a little building. You know, with you know, one of these, it's a storefront. Yeah, if you know where the Staples is on Sprawl Road in Springfield, it's called Golf Tech. And it's, it's a building, but definitely not a golf course. And it's this thing where there's a couple rooms, and, and it is high tech. It's pretty amazing. So here's what happens. My son stands on this putter, and there's a couple cameras focused on him with a big screen, and then what he does is he practices swinging, and they take all kinds of data points, and they shoot it up on the projector. And then the instructor says, okay, here's what you're doing wrong. See, with your swing, you got to do this. And, and then they would work with them that way. So it was, it was amazing. It was a neat thing, you know, this technology. So I told the guy this last week when I took Benjamin. I said, I said I'm going to get one of them. I said, I might have to get a mortgage out, but, you know, because I imagine it's big money. So as we were talking after Benjamin practiced, um, I just told you who he was. He uh, was. I remember him because when, when, when I'm seeing the instructor you know, scrutinizing my son and then making the corrections, I mean it was like a half an hour of that. Okay, you're doing this wrong, you gotta, There's so many things to keep in mind. How many of you golf? Okay, Just one. <laughs> there's so many things to keep in mind, like your, where your back's arched, how you, how you grip the thing, and I mean, just so many things, where your legs, your feet are, and he's giving them like in my mind, my head was spinning. He's given them so many things to work on, and it reminded me. It was one of those things where I went back in time to when I was in my late, I probably was in my late teens, and John Caputo, he's the guy you all have met that led me to the Lord. It, he's a great bowler. You ever see the bowlers where they, some of you probably, where they put a spin on the ball? I mean, that's, John Caputo knows what he's doing with bowling. I do not. And John took probably an hour with me and just worked with me. And so I would go up and I would try and do a thing and then he'd say, okay, here's what you're doing wrong, work on it. And, and it just, this is why it reminded me what my son was going through. Every time John gave me instruction, I got worse and worse and worse. So after the time, I, th- I said, John, I, I think I'm worse now than when we first started because it was just, it was so overwhelming there's so many things to keep in mind. And so, needless to say, I, I stopped practicing <laughs> after that hour. And needless to say, that's why I am not the professional, professional bowler that I could have become. But here's the key. Practice. What do we say? Practice makes perfect. And you know, here's the great thing about our God. God is not sitting there examining us and saying, all right, you've got to change this, 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 and this. All right, let me see it. God doesn't do that. And I'm so grateful, because it would be overwhelming, wouldn't it? God deals with us in our timing. I love 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sin, the ones we confess, the ones He convicts us about, and then it tucks away that little nugget, and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Did it ever dawn on you and that you confess a sin that God's convicting you about? There's so much more to go. I mean, there is. He's probably just hes just scratching the surface. Because you and I, it's going to be a lifetime of just the Lord convicting us and dealing with things. And, and I'm so glad that God just doesn't have 20 cameras on us with all these pinpoints. And, and that he's not scrutinizing us saying, All right, you're doing this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. Change it right now. You know, he is so loving to us. And that whole idea of discipline, of chastening, nurturing. It's God teaching us. It's God instructing us. Folks, there's room for failure. That's how we learn. But, as we go back to Hebrews chapter 12, what does the Bible say? Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your mind. So rather than be discouraged for when you blow it, or you don't succeed in that goal that you set for yourself. Just remember, folks, we are all a work in progress. And it's okay to make mistakes. God is dealing with us. As with children. And if you're a child, folks, every born-again child of God, all are partakers of this process. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your mercy. It is truly of your mercies that we are not consumed. Because your compassions, they fail not. Father, thank you for being so gracious to us. Thank you for this morning. What a precious blessing it was. And the great turnout and the encouragement. Thank you for the visitor, Father. I want to pray for that dear gal, uh, Megan, that you would just bless Megan and encourage her heart. Thank you for all the folks that rallied around her and were introducing themselves and showing her a lot of love. We just pray that she'd come back. Also pray, Father, for Philip. Thank you that he's been here for a few times. And uh, thank you, Lord, uh, for... Uh, His coming back. And we just pray for these folks. If they're not born again. That you'd open their eyes. That they get saved. And I thank you Lord for the privilege of being your child. Thank you for the chastening. The discipline. The instructing. Thank you for teaching us. Uh, Thank you for that. Thing that you do in our lives. As your children. And we ask your blessing. In Jesus precious name. Amen. Let's stand and we'll all close in song.
1: Alright, start to hymn three hundred and eighty-one, blessed assurance, hymn three, eight one. Blessed assurance. Visions of rapture now burst on my side. Angels descending bring from above. Echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song. all Praising my Savior